0: Welcome to Spirit of the Hall, our Teddy Hall podcast series brought to you for Orlarians, by Orlarians. My name is Ollie Belcher and I am the President of the St Edmund Hall Alumni Association. I am delighted to bring you conversations with some of Teddy Hall's most fascinating alumni, fellows and staff. This episode is with Maggie Carver, who came up to Oxford in 1982 to read biochemistry and threw herself into everything when she got there. Her subject, sport, music, the Oxford Union, and her social life.
1: I never ever found it difficult to get people to join a team. I never found it difficult to get people to sing in a choir. If I was doing things, people would turn up and support.
0: Since Oxford, Maggie has had a varied and fascinating career in banking, broadcasting, horse racing, and helping with the Eden Project. She changed her lifestyle somewhat after full-time working, motherhood, and some personal family losses became too much.
1: I want people to know that you can tear up your cherished career dreams and change tack and actually end up in a better
0: place. To live a more balanced life, Maggie has built up her non-executive roles and was the first female chairman of companies such as ITN. She has since been a wonderful mentor to other women dealing with life's juggle.
1: One of the responsibilities you've got as that first woman is to make sure that in some way you can give a hand to those who are coming after you.
0: Maggie. Congratulations on your CBE earlier this year. It's an honor to speak to you today. Well, Maggie, welcome to Spirit of the Hall and it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you here.
1: Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me.
0: Great, so I'm going to start Maggie by asking you to cast your mind back. So you came up to Oxford in 1982 to read biochemistry. But before that, you obviously came for your interview at Teddy Hall. Can you remember your interview?
1: Well, yes, I have uh, vivid memories of my interview. I was asked to measure protein levels uh, in different states of muscle contraction. And uh, I honestly hadn't a clue. I kept making more and more suggestions and and they were all wrong. In the end, I think they just put me out of my misery and told me the right answer. Uh, I'd also hope that they might be interested in my sort of sporting and musical abilities, but... They didn't even get a mention so I think I came away thinking it hadn't gone very well and I do remember that on my walk back to the station and it was a clear bright and frosty day and I took a detour around the Radcliffe camera and coming up to Oxford just seemed like an impossible dream
0: so I was going to say what, what was your reaction then when you were told that you did have a place Obviously, I was pretty ecstatic. I mean, I I had a a, a very funny
1: incident in the run up because um, obviously in those days the the letters came before Christmas and the post was getting later and later every day, and that sort of added to the tension, that wait between uh, getting up and and waiting for the post to arrive. And finally, the um, the envelope did arrive from Oxford, and I remember my father was in the dining room sort of waiting expectantly and with rather sort of shaking hands I opened this envelope and out fell my 90 and a compliment slip from the senior tutor <laughs> that was a bit of a shock actually <laughs> I think I'd left it under the pillow <laughs> and I certainly hope my father believed me um, but uh, so I had to wait a few more days for the real thing to, to arrive
0: and, and, and can you remember the actual moment when you when you opened the letter and it said, you have a place at Teddy Hall? Yes,
1: I I do actually, because I do remember that, again, my father was in the dining room. I I remember opening it and saying that I'd got a place. And it was the first time I remember my father's face looking proud of me. So it meant a lot, actually.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And Maggie, out of all 45 or so colleges, how did you actually choose Teddy Hall?
1: Well, I was in the sixth form and I came up to visit a school friend, uh, Christine Bainan, who was the organ scholar here. And I liked it. I liked the people. Um, I liked the fact it was sporty. And um, I don't know whether more than anything, but it had two thirds men, um, which is great attraction coming from an all girls school. And. You know, I I didn't know at that time, but in fact, I did actually meet my husband-be to at a choir breakfast party when I came up in the sixth form. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) So he was uh, two years ahead of me at Teddy Hall. So um, that was a very fortunate visit, I have to
0: say. Yes, and and, and when you actually got to Teddy Hall, can you remember how you felt um, the first time you stepped foot in the front quad as an undergrad rather than coming up for an interview?
1: Yes, I mean, I think that I... was quite nervous i'd been on orchestral tours both uh, here and abroad before so it wasn't my first time away from home and i was used to chatting to people i'd never i've never met before but i i did get the impression that i was going to be surrounded by people who were sort of impossibly bright and and talented um my first friend was a girl, girl called sally jones um who i met on the sort of introductory tour around oxford and I just, I've always been grateful to her for her kindness um, at, that, at that time when we're all new. And I've known Sally now for 40 years and kindness has been a consistent trait in all of that time.
0: Mm, lovely. So, so Maggie, um, when, you, when you came to Teddy Hall, you came down from Yorkshire, where you had spent your whole childhood. Was studying in the South very different from studying in the North?
1: very different. I, I felt that people in the South had rather perplexing vocabulary and habits. You know, dinner seemed to be the evening meal and not lunch, and tea meant afternoon tea and not supper. And on the one hand, they seemed to be rather over-familiar with all their sort of kissing and it, when they greeted each other, and I never knew which side to go for or anything like that. But on the other hand, they were generally, I think, less, less friendly. They didn't call a spade a spade, a spade was something sort of vaguely spade shaped and if one had a northern accent well one was a northern chemist or a sort of country bumpkin so I think the other thing I noticed that everyone was always talking about money and I'd would been taught that that was bad manners and it seemed to matter a great deal what one father's did or what school one went to um, all of which of course were sort of leading indicators of wealth I suppose so it was a time of kind of discovery and an
0: adjustment. Absolutely. And I mean, I suppose you don't expect there to be such a, a cultural divide, do you, between the North and the South? And apart from meeting your husband at Teddy Hall at that choir breakfast, what was your favourite thing about college?
1: Well, I think we go back to the spirit, don't we? The supportive team spirit. I never, ever found it difficult to get people to join a team. Uh, that, you know, I, I never found it difficult to get people to sing in a choir. If I was doing things, people would turn up and support. Um, I just found that an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, it was wonderful and uplifting, really.
0: Mm. So so you were speaking now a bit about your sport and music, which were mentioned in your Teddy Hall interview, but I'm going to ask you a little bit now. What sport of music did you do at Oxford or at Teddy Hall?
1: Well, I think probably like many in my generation, um, until my final year, my world was filled with extracurricular activity. I was in as many orchestras as possible, um, including the Oxford University Orchestra. I ran my own wind Quintet, um, which I ran with a friend and we played in balls, gave us ball tickets for free. I ran the Music Society for a year and, and put on a production of uh, Four Requiem in the university church. Um, I was in the college and university athletics teams. Um, I rode and I uh, played mixed and ladies hockey and uh, netball and cross country for the college. It's rather a
0: lot of things. I was I going to say, I can't, I can't believe you had time to, to even read biochemistry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, was a, I was a member of the Oxford Union. I used to enjoy the debates there and I had a minor JCR post and um, I had a social life for the first time which I I didn't have really at school and I enjoyed going to plays and art exhibitions Um, I think I even sub-edited the Teddy Hall magazine so I I mean I really basically threw myself into every possible
0: activity. (laughs) Wow I mean that's just unbelievable and then do you still play um, the flute or other instruments now? Yes,
1: I do. I still play my flute. My my youngest daughter is a harpist and my eldest is an oboe player and we, we play together. Um, and I also still play the piano, which of course is a solo instrument, so I can play that when the children aren't here.
0: Okay, lovely. And and Maggie, when you um, joined Teddy Hall, you know, Teddy Hall became co-ed in 1978 and you mentioned that it was Two Thirds Men. Did you feel when you joined that it was basically a male college that had recently accepted women or did you feel that women were very integrated into into the college fabric by then
1: you know I I didn't really feel the fact that it had only recently taken women um I think it, the college adjusted very well and um for example you know the dons were very encouraging particularly on the music side and um and I just loved the sporting feel of the place I think you know rugby was a part of the culture. And I did like that. It gave the college a sort of an identity.
0: So yes, overall, I think it was adjusting extremely well. Great. That's good. That's good to hear. Because obviously, when I I went, it was 50-50. So it was very much, you know, a a co-educational institution. Yes. So Maggie, after Oxford in 1986, you joined SG Warburg in their banking decision. Did someone encourage you or inspire you to take this path? Because it feels quite different to music and sports and all the things you loved.
1: Yes. I mean, I was very lucky. I had a mentor at the time who was Klaus Moser, the warden of Wadham College. And um, I was introduced to him by a friend of mine at, at Wadham, actually, who just said, um, oh, I think you'd really get on with Klaus. And so I just wrote him a note. And he said, come and, come and talk to me. <laughs> so... I just did, you know, he and I had meetings from time to time and, and talked. And so when I had a few jobs on offer in the milk round, I I took them to him and we, we went through them and he suggested that I should take the Warburgs' offer, mainly because I was interested in getting a good overview of industry. And he thought that was the one that would do that best.
0: Mm. And, and, and do you think that was the, a good decision with hindsight? I think
1: it was, think it was really good advice, actually. Yeah. Very
0: good advice. So since then, you've had well, what I can only sh- describe as an incredible career, and have um, landed up amongst many things as the former chairman of the British Board of Film Classification, the chairman of the Racecourse Association, and the current interim chairman of Ofcom. Can you tell me some of your journey to go, you know, from banking into the worlds of broadcasting and well, and horse racing?
1: Yes, it seems like a sort of rather varied, uh, a varied life, <laughs> doesn't it? Um, I mean, I left banking because I wanted to be closer to the commercial coalface, um, which did suit me better, actually. The company I joined at that time was MAIPLC, which um, was in the process of bidding for ITV franchise in the South and Southeast called Meridian Television, still still there. Um, so I was involved in setting that up, and, and that really set my course uh, in the media sector, and as part of my role at MAI, um, I also became a director of a uh, Paris-listed media company, Avenir, Avas Media. And that uh, gave me my first experience as a non-executive director. I then moved from MAI to be chief executive of a television and um, production and outside broadcasting company. And we produced Channel 4 Racing. So that was one of the ways in which I got into racing. So you can see all those Different things were set quite early, actually, after I left banking. Um, But uh, the Channel 4 Racing production company was a a sort of turnaround or die situation. Um, And although I did achieve the turnaround, it took a lot out of me um, at a time when I had one child and was expecting another. And at the same time, I lost three close members of my family. Including my mother. And I was offered uh, and accepted another much bigger chief executive role, which was, was based in, had bases basically all around the world. My husband was abroad a lot of the time, so I also had to cope with a sort of domestic situation, including trying to use a, a massive industrial sized breast pump whilst sort of feeding my, my baby. So it all just became too much, um, I think. I had a panic attack and I collapsed, exhausted and, and anxious took me two years before I could manage anything like uh, full-time work, um, and my husband and I decided we needed to radically rethink our lifestyle. You know, two of us on the hamster wheel um, just didn't didn't work for us. Um, so we sold our London house and bought a business which served the elderly and disabled, which was mainly run by my husband, um, and I developed my non-executive roles, which I could which I could do from home and be there for the children. I wanted to bring up my illness on this interview because I want people to know that you can tear up your cherished career dreams and change tack and actually end up in a better place. So, you know, but I would just advise that um, you don't fall ill before it makes you change tack.
0: (laughs) I really um, thank you for raising it, Maggie, because I think, you know, a lot of people look at someone like you and think it's all probably been a high-flying you know um easy ride because of all your talent so it's it's um it's inspiring to hear that you you know overcame your Ill- your illness and 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 have gone on to do other wonderful things
1: and I still need to watch out by the way you know it, it's a it's a lifelong thing of making sure that I don't do you know I've always got capacity mm. um for for a crisis so um you know, and I think that's it's quite a good watch, watch, uh, watchword that making sure you've got the capacity. Especially the women who'd have to juggle all the time.
0: Well, that's it, especially I, I suppose, because you think it's just the big juggle when the children are very small, but actually, children have different needs all the and you know, and it, it's trying to yes, as as you say, juggle a career and all those other demands and and changing children.
1: That's right. That's exactly right.
0: Mm. Well, thank you, Maggie. So, in in some of these non-exec roles you you mentioned that you went on to do, I understand that you became the first woman to be the chairman of the Racecourse Association in 2015. How does that feel to be the first woman of, of such an organization?
1: Well, it's a funny one because I, I think that I have done a lot of non-executive work. And for many, many years, I was always the first woman or the only one on the board. I was also, for example, the first woman on the ITN board uh, not on the ITN board but the first woman chairman of ITN Um, so I I think that one of the responsibilities you've got as a as that first woman is to is to make sure that in in some way you can give a hand to those who are coming after you and so I have tried in in all my chair roles where I've been particularly where I've been the first woman to be something of a mentor to those who are coming up, um, something I've really, really enjoyed actually, um, and I still keep in touch with with all the senior women that that um, you know that I've mentored. I mean, I had lunch this week with um, with a, with the chief executive of ITN, who nine years ago she and I had a conversation about her career and how to to get to where she wanted, and she told me she wanted to get to be the chief executive of ITN, and I'm, I'm so pleased that she's made it.
0: Fantastic, and and you were her mentor. Yes, that's right. wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So Maggie, I must also congratulate you for being awarded a CBE this year on the Queen's New Year's Honours list. Um, you know, for your services to sport and the media sector. Was this a surprise to you, or were you were you in the know? I was so shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I was so shocked. I mean, I thought it was a virus,
1: actually, um, when it came through, because it was an email. And I thought if I replied that it might wipe my computer. And with all the sort of, you know, special security we have to have with Ofcom and things, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very wary. <laughs> and so it was a while before I actually replied. I think I rang up to check that it was actually bona fides. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I have actually managed to arrange uh, that it's going to be presented in North Yorkshire by the Lord Lieutenant there. And my, you know, you said I come from Yorkshire. My father's still there, and so it'll mean that my father can attend, and uh, that that means a great deal to me.
0: Wonderful. And will it just be your father and you, or other members of the family too?
1: I think it's. I think they say it's only one for the only one for the presentation. So it'll be my father.
0: Oh, yeah. well, I hope it's a really memorable day for you both. Maggie, as well as, you know, sport and media and your CBE, you're involved in the Eden Project, which I know is described as the most beautiful global garden. Um, And even more amazing when you think it was a, a clay pit only, I think, 30 years ago. Can you tell us a little bit about the project and your involvement in it?
1: Well, I think that it was the inspiration of uh, Tim Smith amongst others, but uh, he's a very inspiring character. And he, many years before other people, understood some of the environmental challenges that um, not just Cornwall was facing through, you know, the very pit that had been created, but the rest of the world. And um, his way of educating people was to build the Eden Project. And it's done so ever since. Uh, it's a, it's a hugely popular, you know, tourist attraction, and it's spawned many others. Not just uh, I think there's another one being built um, in in the north now, but also all over the world. So, you know, it's it's done a lot of good, and it's it's doing a lot of good. So, uh, you know, I think it's a great
0: project. Absolutely. And so, so Maggie, you've done and involved in so many things, but what apart from the mentoring, what do you what do you enjoy most?
1: Well, I undoubtedly enjoy being with my husband and my family the most, but uh, we're all musical. So if we could be doing some kind of musical activity, then I, I think that's as good as it gets for me.
0: Lovely. And and are your, have your children followed in your footsteps then with music?
1: Yes. Um, my eldest plays the oboe and the piano and sings, and my youngest is a harpist and uh, plays the piano as well.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. So, Maggie... This whole series is, you know, as as we mentioned about the spirit of Teddy Hall, and how it shaped us all. You mentioned a little bit earlier about, you know, um, the community and kindness. But would you say that that is what the spirit of Teddy Hall is? Would you say that? Would you say it's something else?
1: Well, what I recognised in Teddy Hall when I came up was the sporting heritage, which creates a kind of team atmosphere, and I felt that that team spirit was, um, you know, spread well across. Across things that weren't sport as well, um, so I, I think that that for me, you know, it, it, that sporting heritage has been very important in generating the spirit of the hall and making it uh, supportive and friendly and inclusive. Mm. Yes, I, I, it's really something very special.
0: And do you, Maggie, do you ever go back to Teddy Hall? I didn't
1: go back all that much. I always felt I ought to try to make something of my life before I, I i went back to teddy hall but then my daughter got a place oh wow at teddy hall <laughs> so we went back anyway um and that was really a, a marvelous time for all of us because of course my husband was at teddy hall and now my daughter and um so if there's any our out there who have children uh thinking of which college then i can thoroughly recommend the hall as a it, it's uh, it works for everyone <laughs>
0: <laughs> do, you, do you think do you think it's um, changed much since since you were there when you visited with your, with your daughter?
1: I think some things have changed a great deal. It, it's it's uh, it's absolutely full up, isn't it? You know, people have to sort of queue for um, formal hall, and I mean, Oxford is absolutely full. That's one of the big things. Um, I, I think the other thing is that in my day, we had the first year and the third year in college, and that gave you a bit more time to get to know people in hall and to to consolidate your friends and I think having less time actually in hall means that people don't make friends quite as easily I think the the social life we had loads of drinks parties and the sorts of things where there was actually personal interaction a lot of the social life is is not that kind of life it's a clubbing which isn't getting to know people in the same way and with all the you know we didn't have computers or or anything in our rooms so people living more isolated lives Mm. and if they've got time on their hands they don't go to the buttery or pop round to somebody's for coffee they just watch a netflix film so i think it's much more um, isolating now and I, i do think that Colleges need to think about that, how they get everybody together. People need social interaction, and this is the one time in their lives when they've got so much time to get to know. You know, I, I have my closest friends at Teddy Hall. I met at Teddy Hall, and I have quite a lot of them. <laughs> and it's something I've noticed, uh, not just of uh, my my children, but also my friends' children, that they all have much smaller friendship groups um, and that's as a result of this different lifestyle.
0: That's really interesting. Um, I have to say that the college is is trying really hard to forge ahead with plans to find or build accommodation whereby students can all be in college for three years, which oh, might well help. That's,
1: that's good news. Yeah, that's good news.
0: So so Maggie, before you go, I, 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 would, I would love to ask you to leave us all with three favorite places of yours. And it can be in any order, but we'll go with one in Teddy Hall one in Oxford, and one in the world beyond Oxford.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, I think we'll start, reverse reverse start, then. We'll go with for the world. I have three choices for that. The first would be a mountainscape in Vengen, Switzerland. The second, a Palladian villa called the Villa Barbaro, um, which is near Treviso. And the third would be the Japanese tea garden at the Nanzenji ta- Temple in Kyoto. I, I worked in Japan for a while, so know Japan reasonably well. Um, and I, I choose the latter um, because it's a place of extreme beauty uh, and serenity. And my husband and I have been visiting it every 10 years or so since we were courting. So it also has special memories. Oxford, I I'd go for the Hollywell Music Room. Oh, it's a very special concert hall. I, do, I, I think a lot of people have never visited it. But um, if you get the chance, it's a wonderful place. And I, of course, enjoyed many concerts and, and also played in concerts there. So um, I had a great time at the Hollowell Music Room and it's just very special, sort of architecturally. Um, and at the hall, well, there's a place in the front quad which is special to my husband and I. And that's all I want to say about that.
0: <laughs> well, you can leave it to the listeners to... to <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Well, there's something about that front quad, isn't there, for, for everybody? Very much
1: so. Yes, very much so.
0: And 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 Maggie, if there's one thing about Teddy Hall that you could guarantee would never change, what would it be?
1: Well, I thought about saying the spirit of the hall because that's very special and and I really hope it's still there. Um, but I I then think that actually the one thing I think don't change is the front quad, <laughs> coming back to... To special memories, but I I do think the front quad is central to securing um, applications from so many special undergraduates. And you've got to start there, haven't you, with the raw materials of attracting people in? And I think that is it it is the front quad which which sets the 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 tone for for Teddy Hall. So that's the thing I wouldn't change.
0: I think you're right. I think that moment when you walk through that arch and see the front quad, sort of you almost it's like magically almost mesmerised by it.
1: it's in our hearts
0: isn't it I think it is it's definitely in our hearts well Maggie thank you so much for your time and for being so open and and I think you'll be an inspiration to many women and, and men who listen to this podcast so thank you
1: thank you very much indeed
0: I hope you enjoyed hearing from Maggie Carver I'm grateful that Maggie was generous enough to tell us of her struggles with mental health as it's a reminder to all of us to try and recognize when you're overstretched rather than waiting till you are past that tipping point. I also love that despite all Maggie's success and talent, what she loves most is time with her husband and family. Our next episode will be with Dr. Bill Koger, who came up to the hall in 1976 to read modern history and three years later became the junior dean. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple or wherever you get your podcasts and thanks for listening.